I don't think you had to be a fan of Duck Dynasty or have even to see the TV show to have been wrapped up or caught up in the controversy that happened last December. Uh, if, even if you've never seen the show, I'm sure you knew what happened and knew what was said. It seemed it consumed everything on television and everything on the Internet. It seemed social media. Uh, you couldn't get around people that were either agreeing or defending what was said or disagreeing or just commenting. And it seemed to wrap up everything uh, during that month of December. If you don't know, Phil Robertson, who is the founder of Duck Commander, which the TV show is based on, he's the patron of the Robertson family, who the show is based on. He uh, is a, uh, has an incredible testimony of how God used him, and God pursued him, and God changed him. And his story of his marriage uh, is phenomenal. He is a deacon, an elder uh, at White's Ferry Church in West Monroe, and uh, he describes himself as a uh, backwards Louisiana redneck. That's not a derogatory comment. That's how he describes himself. Well, he did an interview and, uh, on, in GQ magazine back in uh, early December. And in the interview, the uh, questionnaire, the guy doing the interview, asked him several questions about his faith, asked him some questions about his family, and then asked him about uh, his view on homosexuality and homosexual marriage. And Phil answered by responding with a passage of scripture. He's quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, describing in that passage that talks about all kinds of different sins, but it lists homosexuality in there. And it said it is a sinful act and it is wicked. And those that practice all of these things, it included drunkenness and, and wickedness and lying, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He, he just quoted the passage. Now, he added some coarse description after that, and uh, probably not using the best uh, language, uh, but regardless of what you thought about uh, how he said it, what he said was basically quoting scripture. He basically was giving his opinion on why he had faith and why he believed the way he did. Uh, now, it didn't quote in the, uh, in the interview that later on he talks about his passion is loving people. His passion is, is not judging, but loving all. And that in loving all, Jesus Christ loved so much he gave his son. He gave a wonderful picture in that interview of salvation. He talked about how his goal is to just share the love of Jesus Christ and teach the word and that he stood on the word of God and he would back down. Well, you know what happened. The, uh, the controversy exploded. Uh, they, people began to cry out for him to be fired from the hit television show that's on A&E. It's amazing that uh, it seemed like in our politically correct nation, it was like a wildfire. And all of those people that are so quick to use words like tolerance uh, were the least tolerant. You know, it amazes me every time I hear somebody say tolerance, uh, I hear in the back of my head, uh, Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride saying, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Uh, because they, they shout it, but yet they were the most intolerant during this whole thing. They uh, began to cry for him to lose his job. They were the loudest, and they shouted uh, for the longest period of time, all simply because he quoted Scripture and he mentioned his viewpoint. 
Well, my grandmother always told me, if you don't want an answer, don't ask the question. And uh, it's amazing to me that anyone would be surprised his response. Because you see, what he quoted, whether you agree with the passage, whether you agree with how he said it, uh, was nothing more than the traditional Christian view of what that passage says and what the Bible says about sin. See, he didn't say they should be stoned. He didn't say they shouldn't have any rights. He said, here's what I believe. And because of him standing up for what he believed, or really just saying what he believed, he faced all kind of uh, vitriol and scrutiny and being mocked and being put down. And to be honest with you, I never imagined that in my lifetime in the United States of America, a person just simply sharing a scripture and giving their opinion on that scripture would ever be ridiculed the way he was ridiculed. I mean, think about it. Move politics out of the way. They came back to him and they said, listen, uh, all you have to do is apologize. And he, he said to his uh, credit, I apologize if I offended someone in my language, but I cannot apologize for scripture cannot apologize for my faith. And because of that, he endured so much. And it should wake us up in the United States of America. It should wake the church up to realize that we are headed down a very dangerous path in our society where Christians can't even express their view without being mocked and ridiculed. You see, all of that, he, he didn't go looking for trouble. He didn't go trying to search out trouble. He simply just stated his view, and that's where the trouble came. See, in this new series on being found faithful, we looked at all kinds of faith. We looked at how faith allows us to see visions, to see things the way God sees them, to have a God sense in our eyesight. We've seen how faith allows us to receive salvation, that we are saved by faith. Faith is what gives us hope. Faith is what gives us determination. We've seen how faith is, when we walk in faith and live by faith, it can change our destiny. It can change our character. It can change our future even and the future of our families. We've seen how faith gives us the strength to endure. It gives us the ability and the courage to do things for God we could have never done in our own strength. But what happens when that same faith, that same faith leads you to a time of struggle? What happens when that faith that gives you strength, that gives you courage, that gives you the ability to see leads you to a time of trials? You see, the Bible says all of us are going to face trials. James, when we studied James, said you'll face sufferings, you'll face difficulties, you'll face tough times. But what happens when you face tough times simply because of your faith? See, all around the world today, there are people imprisoned this morning. There are people being put to death. There are people facing incredible trials, incredible difficulties not because of, of something they did, not because of, uh, of something they said, simply because they identified themselves as Christians and they refused to compromise that. The question I want for you this morning is to ask, do you have that kind of faith? Do you have a faith that is so secure in Jesus Christ, that is so uncompromised, that is so secure in the truth of the Word of God, that it leads you to points of contention. 
I'm not talking about trying to make trouble. I'm not talking about looking for trouble. I'm talking about trouble finding you, difficulties finding you, distresses finding you, simply because you believe what the Word of God says and you try to apply it to your life. See, I've entitled this morning's message, What Happens or, or When Our Faith Leads Us to the Fire. And I've described it that way because I want to look at probably what is the most famous story of this kind of faith in the Bible. And it's found in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. It's the story of three Hebrew boys who were enslaved in Babylon, whose nation had been destroyed, and they were enslaved. You know the ones I'm talking about, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right? No? That's their Hebrew name. That's really their name. We know them by their Babylonian name, which was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, these three young men are given an opportunity to either stand in their faith and face the fire or back down and escape the punishment. And as we think about that for a few minutes, let me just ask you to examine your faith this week. In light of where we are as a culture, in light of where we are at your schools and in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods and in your community, is your faith in Jesus Christ causing you to face the fire? You see, I think there's some things we can learn about what faith really is because I believe there's going to come a day. It, it may not be today. You and, I, you and I may never face the kind of persecution that's going on around the world, but I firmly believe that where we are headed as a culture, our children will, and if not our children, our grandchildren. And if we are not prepared in our faith, if we are not secure in our faith during the good times, during the easy times, then how can we be secure when the fire comes? You see, back in our Bible history, if you remember Bible history from Samuel and Kings, uh, David's kingdom had been divided. David's kingdom after Solomon had been divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And by 605 B.C., the northern kingdom was no longer existent because of sin, because they turned their back on God. Other nations came in and destroyed them. All that was left was a remnant of the tribe of Judah that was gathered around Jerusalem. It was the southern kingdom. And in 606 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, which was the strongest empire of its day under its leader, King Nebuchadnezzar, marched on Jerusalem. And in 606 B.C., they surrounded Jerusalem, and they eventually, after a siege, destroyed it. If you remember from our different stories of, of rebuilding the wall and rebuilding Jerusalem, when Nebuchadnezzar went in with the Babylonians, they destroyed everything. They took the temple and they burned it to the ground. They stole all the temple treasures. They took the wall and destroyed the wall. And they captured the people and they enslaved them. They marched them back to the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire is between the Tigris and Euphrates. It would be today where we would consider Iraq. They marched them from Israel, from Jerusalem, back to that area. And Nebuchadnezzar, in his idea of all of these new slaves, decided the best way to keep them in line was to take some of the slaves, and he took about 100, 95 to 100 that the historians believe, and used them as hostages. And in making them hostages, what he did was he incorporated them into the Babylonian Empire. He figured that if he gave them some power, if he gave them some jobs, that they would help keep all the slaves in line. 
And we know of four of those. One of them is Daniel, who Daniel's Babylonian name, we rarely use it, is called Balthazar. You may hear it later on in Daniel when you study, it's Balthazar. And then he used the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he put them in a place of prominence. Daniel rose to what we would call as the Secretary of State. He was in charge of foreign affairs for the Babylonian Empire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were placed as governors. Really, they were city managers over a region of Babylon. They were rising in prominence through the years. Well, in Daniel chapter 3, we find the story that most of us remember from VeggieTales or from our childhood. Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to build a statue, and he's going to build a statue of himself. And so he gets his workers to go out on the plain of Dura, which is outside of, of Babylon where, where the main capital is, and he, they build a statue. And the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 3 it's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. So it's very narrow statue, probably on a platform. And it's created in solid gold. So you've got this solid gold statue. And then Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to throw a worship celebration. And so he invites all of the leaders, all of the princes, all of the rich people to come to this celebration event. And he announces that what he's going to do is have a band there. And the band is going to play. And it's going to work its way to a crescendo. And at that moment, all of the people that are there will bow down. And that's Nebuchadnezzar's words. And worship this statue. Well, see, that was a problem for the three Hebrew boys because they believed that they should put no other God before God, Jehovah. We don't know, it doesn't say what happened, but we do know in verse 7 of chapter 3 that that's exactly what happened. They began to play and the band began to go. And as it worked a crescendo, the crowds, and some say there were 5,000 to 6,000 people on the plains of Dura, they all bowed down and said, Hail Nebuchadnezzar. But somewhere in that crowd, those three Hebrew boys were standing. Now, we wouldn't even known about the story except there were some Chaldeans, and Chaldeans were part of the Babylonian Empire, but really they were scientists. They were astrologers. They were people of science, and uh, many people believe they were under Daniel's influence, and many people believe it is part of this Chaldean school under Daniel that is part of the wise men that show up when Jesus is born because of Daniel's prophecy. But there were some Chaldeans there that were jealous that somehow these three Hebrew boys had been given prominent roles, had been given big jobs and so one of the Chaldeans or two of the Chaldeans looked over and they saw that they didn't bow and you see Nebuchadnezzar said anyone that doesn't bow will be killed instantly by being thrown into the furnace see there happened to be a furnace there because to build a statue and to melt gold you had to have a furnace many people believe it was some type of uh, um, uh, cave type furnace that they had built where you could stoke it from the top and then you could go in like a door entrance to where you could see in it. You could either be dropped in something from the top or you can put something into the side like a big uh, pizza oven really uh, that, that was in its, the way it was structured. He said, anybody that doesn't bow goes in there. Well, these Chaldeans saw that the three that they didn't like didn't bow. And he goes and they go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, Nebuchadnezzar, we know you said everybody should worship, but we saw three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that didn't worship. And that's where we find this idea of faith. That's where we find this idea of what faith that leads to the fire looks like. Listen how they respond in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, now listen, if he was really furious with rage, he wouldn't say, he liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because here he gives them a second chance. He said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my God of worship, the image of gold that I set up? When you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the pipes and the, the harp and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to give you another chance. We'll strike up the band one more time. Maybe you didn't understand. Maybe you didn't realize what I was asking you to do. He said, we'll do it one more time. He said, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what good will you be able, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You see, they were given a second chance. And it's that second chance where most of us find our faith withering. It's that second chance where we begin to allow compromise. See, most of us can withstand that first rush against our faith, that first uh, push when someone pushes against us. That point when Phil Robertson was given an opportunity, and I don't know if you were like me, I prayed, Lord, just, just don't let him say anything crazy, but just let him stand on what he said. Because we live in a society where once Christians are confronted for their faith, where once Christians are, are, are asked about their faith, instead of that stand that leads us to the fire, we choose that time to back away. We choose that time to get quiet. You see, this is the point that they could have easily compromised. See, this would have been the point where it would have been real easy for them to say, well, listen, everybody else is doing it. What's it going to hurt for us just to bow? They could have said something like, uh, it won't hurt it. We just do it one time. Uh, we, we'll just go over here and we'll act like we're worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. But really in our hearts, we'll be worshiping God and no one will know the difference, right? They could have said in their heart, you know, we'll do it this time, but we'll ask God for forgiveness afterwards. And God says he forgives us. So if I just do it and then ask God for forgiveness, it's not going to hurt, right? Or they could have used a spiritual answer. Could have used something. You know, God gave us this job. God put us in this place. So surely he doesn't want us to lose this job and, and get hurt. So we have to do it. You see, what happens when we begin to rationalize, when we begin to compromise, when we are called to make a stand, all of a sudden we start thinking of everything to make it sound spiritual, to justify it in our mind, and we find our faith not willing to withstand the fire. So they could have said, listen, if, if we're killed, who's going to help all the other Hebrews? That sounds like a good answer, doesn't it? Sounds like a good excuse, but you see, they couldn't. Because from the time they were little boys, every Hebrew, every Israeli learns two passages. They don't know any other things in the Old Testament. They learn two passages. One of them is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's what they call the Shema. It's what they repeat back and forth to one another. And it says this, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Every Hebrew knew that. And the second one came from Exodus chapter 20 as part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 23 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above the earth, or beneath the earth, or beneath the waters below. For you shall not bow down and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, where it would have been easy to make an excuse, where it would have been easy to compromise, they said, we will not. 
So the question for us this morning is do we have a faith that would lead to the fire? Or better yet, a better understanding would be would, would we stand or bow? Or even better, are we standing or bowing today when faced with the fire? You see, I think the reason many of us struggle when we're faced with conflict, when we're faced with somebody coming against our faith, somebody coming against our Christian beliefs, is we really don't understand faith. There's so much misunderstanding when it comes to faith. I hear people in church all the time misunderstand what faith is. So let me give you two examples before we look at their answer to Nebuchadnezzar of a faith that will not lead you to the fire, of a faith that is not strong enough and really is not biblical faith. The first one that's not faith is a faith in our own faith. I want you to think about that for a minute. A faith in our own faith. You see, what happens in Christian circles so often we link the effectiveness of our faith with how strongly we can convince ourselves of the positive outcome of our faith. Have you ever heard anybody say, if only I'd have had more faith? You see, somehow we think that God's actions are dependent on our ability to work up our faith. And so we go through these routines and we go through these rituals and we put all of our faith in our ability to have faith. We put all of our ability of faith in saying, you know, if only we sing that song because that gives me stronger faith and I'm not going to allow doubt in my mind. And it's the faith that moves God. Listen, I am so thankful that God's sovereignty is not dependent on my faith. Used to, one of the things that I struggled with Many of you know my mother passed away from diabetes when I was just out of high school. I remember when my mom was lying in bed, heart failing, kidneys failing, her leg had been amputated. These well-meaning people from church would come and they would pray over her and they would look at us. And I was 17, 18, young in my faith. My, my brothers and sisters were 10, 9, 8. We'd all be in there and they would pray over her and then they would look at us and say, you just need to have more faith. They would look at my little brothers and sisters and say, oh, if you only had more faith, your mom would be healed. What kind of guilt is that to put on somebody? You see, we don't understand faith is not about my ability to believe. Faith is about understanding that God is in control. And so many times we misunderstand it. You see, faith is not trusting in, in, in what we can do, but trusting in God's wisdom and power. I don't trust in my, the amount of faith that I can work up. I trust in God. Faith is not about controlling or manipulating God. It's about trusting him. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign and in control. Are we to have all the faith to, to walk with him and to trust him? Yes, that's what the Bible is full of. But faith is not my ability to have faith. And the second thing that faith is not is faith... It is not a faith of what we want to happen. See, so many times we think faith is determined on our belief or our ability to believe something that we think God should do. You see, we think that this should be the outcome that God should make happen, and so we begin to believe in that direction. It's where you get the word faith movement today. Well-meaning and well-intentioned people that say, listen, if I speak this long enough, if I speak this reality, then somehow that's going to convince God to make it a reality. 
So you don't have to study the Bible very long, even Hebrews chapter 11, to realize that life didn't always turn out the way the people in the Bible hoped it would. Because you see, faith is not my wanting something to happen the way I want it to happen. It's trusting God through whatever happens, regardless of what happens. You see, so many people think that if I can work up my faith, or if God will just do what I want him to do, then my faith will be strong. That's not a faith that will get you to the fire, because that will fail you every time. Because when life doesn't turn out the way you want, you blame yourself or you blame your lack of faith, or you get mad at God. You see, the Hebrew boys had a different kind of faith. The Hebrew boys had a faith that trusted God regardless. Listen to their answer. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We don't have to give you an answer. Why? Because if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. You can underline that if you have your Bible. He is able to save us. God is in control. God has all the power. I trust God. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, God can. He can save us. He can get us out of this. But even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the God you set up. You see, true faith, their faith, trusted in God alone. They trusted in God's power. They trusted in God's will. They knew that he was able, and even if he didn't, he was still God and still in control. You see, they didn't trust their ability to believe or what they wanted to happen. They trusted God, good or bad, rich or poor, furnace or no furnace. God is in control. I trust him. You see, that is a faith that will always lead to the fire. It's a faith that says there's no compromise in me. There is no backing down. There is no stepping away. Why? because God is true he's told me to do this because I believe him I'm going to stand in him reminds me of what Job said though he slay me still I will worship him Paul tells the Philippian church for me to live as Christ to die as gain see what he was saying is no matter what the world throws at me no matter what happens I trust him You say a faith that leads to the fire doesn't have to count the cost because the cost doesn't matter. See, people say all the time, you better, before you decide, you better count what that's going to cost you. You see, to a Christian that's standing in their faith, it doesn't matter the cost. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. If it costs us our lives, we're going to stand. If it costs us everything, See, they didn't have to go and look for the fire. They weren't preaching on the street. They weren't looking for trouble. They were standing on their faith and on their principles and living an uncompromised life, and the fire found them. And I want to suggest to you this morning, the point of my message is that when you stand in truth, when you stand in the principles of the Bible, when you stand by faith, I promise the fire will find you. 
Now, you and I know how the story ends. They get thrown into a blazing furnace so hot it burns those up that are around it. And I, I don't want to focus on that this morning. Matter of fact, I'm going to pick up next week where that leaves off and talk about the, the faith that leads you through the fire. But I didn't want to focus on that this morning. I wanted to focus on the faith that causes the fire, the faith that, that directs you to the fire. Let me give you a little hint about next week's message. A faith that leads you to the fire will always get you through the fire. But that getting through the fire may not mean what you think it means. Princess Bride reference again. Because you see, we think of getting through the fire as being a happy ending. Stephen in the New Testament made it through the fire, but his flesh was left on the ground. What I want you to think about this morning, the question for us is in light of the culture we live in, in light of what we're facing, is your faith, is the way that you live, is the things that you stand for, is it leading you to the fire? Or have you compromised? Have you walked away? Have you trusted in your own understanding? Probably a more important question for me as I work through this is what kind of faith are we teaching? Or even better yet, what kind of faith are we modeling to our children and grandchildren? You see, I believe our culture's not getting any better. And while we are spoiled in America because we don't really face the fire. Oh, yeah, you may lose Facebook friends. Somebody may not like it. Your reputation may get hurt. People may walk away from you. They may be angry. They may spread rumors about, oh, you, you may face something like that. But you're not being put to death. We've been praying for, for Saeed Abedini, who's an American citizen, in a, in a jail in Iran. It's Iranian national, American citizen, wife, kids, pastor, went back over to his homeland just to help organize food relief, and they arrested him. Why did they arrest him? Not because he was an American citizen. Not because he was doing food. They arrested him simply because he was a Christian, and they said it's dangerous. You see, the question for you and I is while you and I may not face the fire like he is or like other people around the world is, I believe that our kids and our grandkids will. What if they face a day where it comes to where they can't have a job if they claim the name Jesus Christ, where someone stands up and says, do you believe this verse? Then I'm not going to hire you. You say, that's crazy. No, it's not. Read the newspaper today. Where someone will say, you're going to be put in jail if you quote that scripture, if you say that stance. Will your kids have a faith that's been modeled that will allow them to stand up to the fire? What are you giving them? What are you showing them? Compromise, walking away. It's evidenced just this week one of the Olympic half pipe skiers Philip Wise 
was listed. He won the gold medal. He was listed. I don't know if you're following the Olympics. They called his lifestyle an alternative lifestyle. Now, when you think alternative lifestyle, what do you think? I mean, just to yourself, think about it. What do you think when someone says he lives an alternative lifestyle? Do you know what his alternative lifestyle was? He's a 22-year-old that's married and has a child and works as a youth pastor in his time off. And because of the environment that he was in and because of all the culture that he lives in, for him to be what you and I used to think was normal is now called alternative. Let me tell you something, church. There is a time coming when we will face the fire simply because we believe this book. The question is, will you be ready? Are you ready? In the early 4th century, there was a fantastic early church father, pastor by the name of John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom is known in church history because he's called the voice. He had an incredible preaching voice. He was leading converts, and the emperor of his day called him in and asked him to renounce Jesus Christ. And Chrysostom said, I I can't renounce Jesus Christ. He said, listen, if you don't renounce Christ, I'm going to banish you from our lands and take away everything you own. All of your father's lands will not be yours. You know how Chrysostom answered? He said, you can't. Because my father owns lands on a thousand hills. And that's my inheritance. He said, well, the emperor got mad again and said, well, if that's the case, then I'll take away all your treasures. I'll take away all your worldly goods. He says, you can't because my treasure is in heaven where the moth and rust will never get it. The emperor got more angry. It's recorded. He said, well, then I'll throw you in solitary confinement. For the rest of your life, I'll put you in a pit where you'll have no friends and you'll be all alone. And Chrysostom said, you can't. For I have a friend that is closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And finally the emperor got so mad, he said, I'll take your life. And once again, Chrysostom said, you can't. For my life is not yours to take. For it is buried with Christ, resurrected with him in heaven today. He died by the flames burned at the stake simply because he believed see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had that kind of faith the question is do we what did your life this week say about your faith let's pray Father I thank you for the faith that you give us father faith being the ability and the trust in what we cannot see the hope of what is to come and god we understand this morning that faith is simply trusting you alone regardless of the circumstances regardless of the cost we will trust you father i pray that that's true 
of these moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers. Father, I pray it's true of our teenagers, our college students, and our children that they are learning to trust you alone. God, not to trust in our bank accounts or to trust in our status in this culture or to trust in what people think or people say about us because all that can be gone. Father, be with those around the world right now that are watching their children killed, their mothers and dads imprisoned simply because they believe in the Jesus we worship. God, break our hearts. Not because they did anything, simply because they love you and identify as your follower. God, rouse us from our comfort. We've grown so comfortable that we're not ready for the day that comes when the fire comes deep in our faith. Let us be uncompromising in the small areas, the little things, as we trust you. God, we love you and we worship you in your name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?